probably be, we usually do about an hour, but uh, since this is a three hour movie, we might go a little longer. Holy shit, it's a long movie. It's really long. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll do Galaxy Quest. Okay. Galaxy Quest is in my top three movies. Top three? I would say so. I fucking, I have watched that I'd movie say top 20. so many times. Do you differentiate between movies and films? Like, do you feel that, I feel like you can't compare a movie that gives you insights into so, life with a movie that wasn't even trying to do that. It was just trying to be fun. Those are like different things to me. Okay, so uh, here's the thing about me. I am, I am like, you know, some people are colorblind. Mm-hmm. I am cinematography blind. I have, you don't care what the shots it's are. It's not that I don't care because I've I've watched stuff with you. I've watched stuff with with Alex and with uh, uh, Dave and Tom, all of whom have good eyes and a deep appreciation of cinematography. And mm-hmm. I've had that stuff explained to me over and over again. And I don't, I don't see, I don't notice as much of that stuff. Like every now and then, like I'll see a movie like Mad Max: Fury Road, and I'll be able to appreciate, like, holy fuck, like. That's some impressive cinematography. Right. But it calls see. itself out. You're like, the yeah. camera's whirling around. I bet <laughs> yeah. that was tough. Yeah. yeah, that seems like it was a, <laughs> but a feat. You don't notice, like, do you ever go, that shot is a relevant shot because it espouses something about the uh, the thesis of the film or something? Do you ever have those moments where you no. look at something and go, oh, <laughs> I know why that shot happened? I am and very. shot it that way. I, I, I'm 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 a dialogue guy, and I'm the same thing when I listen to hip hop or mm-hmm. like music in general. Like I I words. Yeah, it's the words. That's what I focus on. How do you feel about Kevin Smith movies? I do not like Kevin okay. Smith. Yeah. Well, you can he's, be a word he, guy I, yeah. and not like yeah, someone's yeah. words, but yeah, he's yeah. he's someone who doesn't give a he's shit a about guy. just the words. Yeah, only yeah. words. Yeah. Um, I well, never. Yeah. Here we are in the middle of a frame rate already. Yeah, you didn't even know, right? No, I didn't even know. Um, Welcoming Robert Evans. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for having me here. Sure. Fine. Fine. (laughs) Fine. Is that a working fireplace? it's my honor. Uh, Actually, that fireplace has been converted into where my cats shit. Uh, That's where the litter box goes. (laughs) It's a cat shitter. And it's great because the smell goes straight up the chimney. Unfortunately, our chimney is currently infested by a hive of 10,000 honeybees. Uh, yeah, the oh, wow. city inspector told us there should be like 50 pounds of good honey in that chimney. And we're like, what if cat shit stink <laughs> constantly wafts up? But he's like, I don't know. Eat the honey if you want. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Did he get rid of the bee? Are you saying there's 50 pounds of honey up there that we could in be getting? In the chimney that we could yeah. get if we dismantled the chimney. I mean, that's I the podcast. You're right a dangerous there. person to tell Just that. Just let's, let's get that honey. <laughs> let's get that honey. Oh, boy. This is the longest intro we've ever had, and I'm not going to cut a second of it, but we should get on the bus because yeah. today on Frame Rate, the podcast where we rate frames, we're discussing Magnolia, <sighs> the longest movie ever made. So we'll no. need all the time we have. No. Uh, what is Satan Tango? Satan Tango, good. I don't know if that's the longest, but that's the longest that I know that of. You've seen it. In that I actually sat down and watched and fell asleep and woke up and it was still the same shot. <laughs> what is Satan Tango? Uh, it's a uh, Hungarian film by a filmmaker named Belatar, and it's a uh, very um, meditative film. Um, like I, a I couldn't, style I couldn't thing, tell or? you. Uh, no, there's narrative, but, uh, it's seven and a half hours. Holy Um, shit. Yeah. And I watched it for a film class and it, uh, it has some things it wants to say and it says it well. There's some beautiful cinematography talking about cinematography. Uh, but ultimately I don't like, I, I bet I could tell you what I think it's about and be, and I would just be wrong. 
and Bellatar would say you're wrong. Like you think Probably. they did have a point. And I think there was a point it. and I missed it, and I because it's so low. I've heard there's a a Japanese samurai film from like the 70s that they had to show in multiple days because it just goes and goes and you just like goes. go home and come back. But that kind of thing has lost meaning as a stunt now that Netflix is like, how is that different than just having just, a series, yeah. a long-running series? Yeah, yeah, a TV show where you watch 13... Right. Or like like have a Lord of the Rings marathon oh boy. where you watch the special editions. Shall we? So it's 12 hours because they're each like, like four. stepping on skulls. Mm. It has been more than a year since I've done my last 12-hour Lord of the Rings marathon. Yeah, it's compulsory with Jan once a year, so I'm due. I'm going to have to do it soon. (laughs) But this film was three hours and 15 minutes. What film? I forgot what we're eating Three hours and eight, right? Uh, You know. Magnolia. I just watched it today. Paul Thomas (laughs) Anderson. uh, Let's just throw out some greatest hits, but you know him. There Will Be Blood, Punch Drunk Love. (sighs) Help me out. There's more. Boogie Nights. Heart Eight. Heart Eight. I don't know that one. This is for first. Oh, okay. With the deep cuts. Yeah. Uh, and then Intolerable Cruelty. No. no Inherent Vice. Yeah, Inherent Vice more recently. Inherent Vice. Didn't do as well. But generally greatly regarded as one of the last auteurs that is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that we haven't gotten over. Um, I think his voice is still very vital and he's making interesting pictures. Oh, and the what was the one about Scientology with Joaquin and the Hoffman? Master? The Master, yeah, that was also him. And uh, we were talking because, as just so you know, Robert watched it today, but um, we watched it together, Michael, two days ago. Two days ago, and uh, you said that you hadn't, you had seen it once, but it didn't work on you. I watched it because I knew it was your favorite movie, and it's, we almost agreed it's top three for about me. everything. Top three. For there me. were times you said it was your favorite movie, but that stuff fluctuates. That does fluctuate. Um, That's true. So I watched it, and maybe I went in not wanting to, like, to prove my own identity, not wanting to have the same favorite movie as you, or I don't know. I can't speculate to my own psychology. Sure. But no, I didn't get it. I didn't find the performances riveting, and I wasn't engaged, and I thought it was diffuse, and I didn't understand what point I was supposed to get out of it. Right. And then we watched it for the second time. I've only seen it twice, and now it's my favorite movie. <laughs> I uh, <clears throat> I watched it, it I think the for the first time when I was like eighteen, mm-hmm. and I watched it. I started watching it at like midnight at my parents' place, and everyone was already asleep, and I didn't know how long it was. And I halfway through was like, "How long is this movie?" But I was so captivated that. I did not go to bed until like 8 a.m. It's one of the most visceral experiences of a first viewing of a movie for me. That's why it's like one of my favorite movies is that it like profoundly changed me forever like a hit of acid or, Mm -hmm. you know, like a bag of shrooms did the first time that I did either of those. You know, like it, it really changed a lot of things for me. So I'm going to be unapologetically a fanboy of this film throughout this podcast. That's us. Was That's that us. similar to your experience, Robert? No, I didn't dislike it. I enjoyed it. I found it engaging. I would say there were characters, because it's, it's essentially a bunch of different movies that all have points where they intersect is kind of how I felt about like while watching it, because so many of the stories are separate for yeah. so much of the it's film. It's ensemble structure yeah. rather than three-act yeah. structure. Yeah, e- Exactly. And um, I was really engaged in several of those stories, and I was not engaged. Like I wasn't, I normally like William H. Macy. I was not particularly engaged with his story in this um i was very engaged with the cop and what's her name john c Riley and john Claudia. c Riley and, and julianne Claudia. moore 
um, which I have a lot to talk oh, about. Yeah, that. Claudia. Um, yeah, Claudia. Claudia. And I was really engaged. To coke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I was engaged with Tom Cruise, who's basically like in this movie the L. Ron Hubbard of vagina Scientology. Yeah, he's the dude yeah. who well made said. the game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's also seduce and conquer. The only like Tom Cruise character with this level of depth ever outside of maybe Vanilla Sky. Yeah, I was about it's to very say fucking impressive from Tom Cruise. It's his I, best performance, hands down. I've always liked Tom Cruise. I've never like not as a person, obviously. Like he's, I he's, find him he's a very strange duck. Presence. Yeah, he's a strange duck. Look, but he does I, charm a, me in movies. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. like Edge of uh, yeah. Tomorrow. Tomorrow was I, good, I really enjoyed, but like Vanilla Sky and this stand alone, yeah. and I think this one's as particularly real performances alone. as yeah. like <laughs> in the same way that PTA utilized. Um, uh, uh, Adam Wahlberg or Sandler? Sandler. Yeah, I feel like you can say the same about Wahlberg and Boogie. Yeah, too. like in a way, it's like he knew exactly how to use him. Coen Brothers do that too with Tara Reid and Big Lebowski. And I'd argue they use George Clooney better than George Clooney knows how to use himself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And in this one, I think Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I would say I've always thought Tom Cruise was a really good actor because I saw Vanilla Sky when I was young. Yeah. Um, and that was like my first formative Tom Cruise experience uh and it was nice to see him again in something that's that caliber of performance because right. normally he just he's fine but yeah. he does he's not like this like in this he's like bleeding on the screen basically. right i yeah. mean i mean the scene with him at his dad's yeah. deathbed holy shit i mean not just to mention when he's being interviewed and he's like kind of like the the veil is revealed and is like why did you lie about things and just like what a, why are you silent for so long he's like i'm silently judging you that is like a very visceral kind yeah. of response to those two beats, the bed and, you know, I'm silently judging yeah. you. Uh, apart from him, suck my m- fucking sausage. No, it's, yeah. it's, today we celebrate the feast of Saint Suck My Big Fat Fucking Sausage. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like a whole different thing, which we'll unpack. But like the <laughs> unpacking well, are we sausage. Are spend a lot of time unpacking No, this? I just think. Uh, I will say that that's the one people always call out. My favorite line from the seminar is actually, oh, Denise, fucking Denise Lose the piece. piece. Yeah. Well, you know what I say, Denise? You are going to give me a slice of that sweet, sweet cherry pie, little baby mama. Like, wow, that's exactly just... how he delivers it. It's nuts. You just have that line down. I have it written in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good, though. Like, it's that's that's why this movie works for me is uh, suggestions like that, like where it unmakes people. That's why it was like, it, not just to mention the fact that I like, there was a lot of grieving in my family when I was young, about 13 uh, with cancer. So that arc, obviously I relate to, but like the idea that like the line where it's like, it's the regrets that we make is so important to me as like a human being, but important to this film in a way that I think it might be almost a thesis statement in that everyone's actions in this movie, regardless of their arc and their interconnectivity, uh, they're all in a constant flux of life. And what that means to, I think this movie is that, yeah, we're all in different stages of grief of life. We're all in different stages of grief of happiness in life. And ultimately, um, everything is what we make and everything is how we deal with it. And uh, people change our lives here and there, but everything is kind of an internal struggle. 
and, and it won't that's be neatly, a lot. It won't be neatly resolved. It's like yeah. uh, the reason it didn't click it's with constant. me the first time is the same reason. And this one I got the first time, but I was just lucky. Like I was in a more receptive mood. People were pissed at the end of No Country when I saw it in theaters because it was so masterfully done. They were heavily invested. And then it doesn't have a traditional structure or wrap up. And the people in the theater I was with would said like, what the fuck? And like groaned. Why? And yeah. I get it because, and what's funny is it means it's a good movie. Because if it was boring, they wouldn't have like audibly groaned. Like they wanted to know so bad. Well, did Llewellyn Davis cheat on, or not David? Did Llewellyn cheat on her did, before he got killed? What happened right. with the murder? Um, and their point, of course, very pointedly and clearly in retrospect is, yeah, that's life, motherfucker. So, like you don't always know shit happens off screen that's out of your control. And that and Magnolia is getting at the same truth. So it frustrated me because I felt that it wasn't coming down on any moral ground. I think the greatest films that have been made ask more questions than they have answers to. And this movie is full of questions. Yeah, but I also like Freaked and Galaxy Quest. Oh, like yeah, yeah. There, there's different types, there's different of, types of movie you know, experiences. And there's different colors also. There's, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, what different are you trying sports. To say? Well, different we should people, separate yeah. the there's different, different colors? What yeah. are you getting at? That's always Abe's point. I mean, Base, that's, that's what every movie is saying, Yeah, right? yeah. Purple and yellow. Right. No. They are. Those are complimentary colors. Speaking which of they're opposite. Know. They're a little bit of problematic racial stuff going on in this film i thought so yeah Um, i think it's a and i'd love to have you speak more on it because you're the guest but my thesis is just i was like this is the most beautiful heartfelt truthful insightful depiction of the many varied lifestyles that you can have as a person who's white (laughs) it it does it's it's very it's specifically focused on his own race people like him no totally and that's yeah yeah it's 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 Interesting that it opens with John C. Riley going into the home of a black woman yep. and mm-hmm. finding a dead person. A and white dead a whole, person. Yeah, a white dead person. And it's this whole thing. And then entering the home of a white woman and both times doing things that we wouldn't, I don't want cops to do. Like, Because in the first case, yeah. he's being pretty belligerent with her. From the writing standpoint, she's yeah. your classic like lady on cops, mm-hmm. just going get the fuck out of my house. Also, the white guy was killed by the worm, who's a black, black boyfriend man. or yeah. son or son. I forget. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, there is a the the child, the prophet, uh, who's like a modern day uh, Tiresias, yeah, so to speak. which I did like, but it felt kind of tokenish. Where you're like, I'll throw in the black kid. Yeah. Gonna be, he's you know, the, no, noble, the answer, yeah. the nobility of like. Well, he's from the streets, so he sees the truth. Right. Like that's minimizing in its own way, also. Yeah. And he's yeah. gonna do it to you in a rap. Yeah, yeah. He, he tries to sell him band candy and then raps. Yeah, if he'd had like an arc <laughs> of his own and had been a character in his own right, the way that William H Macy was, or because because I don't feel like he 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 was in that way. That's why I think it feels token esque because we don't get enough time with that character for him to be a person. Yeah, I think that's. But fair. I do feel yeah. your touch. You mentioned Macy again, so I just want to ask you because it is it's structured a lot like great plays used to be. It's uh, deep, piercing introspections into a character, why someone is the way they are, or did something they did, and the punchline is the reveal of either what made them that way or they're changed fundamentally in some way. It's not plot driven. It's blah blah blah. It's these little fables. Uh, and Macy's is he's Donnie Smith, a quiz boy who quiz grew boy. up. His parents stole his money, so now he's broke. 
uh, he's gay and he doesn't seem comfortable with it. And he's in love with this studly bartender. He has a lot of love to give. Yeah. What didn't resonate with you is my point. Um, I, I actually really like that. I one. don't know. I, I, I have no, I have no particular complaints about it. It's not something I can explain. I'm not trying to cast you as homophobic. I will, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I will say one of the things I love about having seen this is that I understand a couple of characters on Venture Brothers on a, a deeper level now. Cause I did not realize that that was sort right. of the inspiration for right. Billy Quizboy and She's what's the albino's Billy name. Quizboy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that's very much what's going on there. I mean, it's I, also I like that. a nod to quiz show with John. John Turturro, you know, like I've never seen that. I mean, just the, there's a well-torn kind of character arc that is designed around the person who knows all the factoids but doesn't know like how to live uh, or be comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, and it's funny that archetypes faded because we don't have kids quiz shows anymore. Right. Yeah, but there used to be a lot of movies with that archetype: the kid who's totally put upon in the <clears> quiz show. Which is interesting because I was mentioning in Michael, not that I want to derail, but just as an interesting tidbit about this movie is that he, the first arc and the motivation for writing this PTA worked as a first assistant director, I believe, meaning he was like the kind of guy who Ricky J was uh, in the uh, movie. And what you're referring to is, yeah, in the movie, Ricky J's character was the guy who like ran everything, kept everything on time for the kids quiz show for a, sh- for an actual yeah. like live TV show. And so, Jeopardy and show. he talked about, he talks about in interviews <clears throat> how he thought it was really crazy and like surreal how everyone knew what they were doing. Everyone was professional. PTA, everyone, you mean not Ricky? PTA, Jay, right? yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. Uh, running around doing this thing for this like hour long live event that meant nothing. Uh, and it, everyone thought it was important. In fact, there's a line where it's like, it's television. It's a television show. It's a game show. It's a game show. No, that's, it's fine. Yeah. They, uh, the hosts played ably by an actor who I always refer to as Mr. Bookman from Seinfeld, um, but is uh, basically having a stroke or quite possibly there's a lot of reason to believe he's having a stroke and their stage director saying, so we just like shut the show down for the day. Right. And he's like, no, God damn it. It's a game show. And you're like, yeah, that's why who gives a shit. It's a game show. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think now that, I analyze my reaction to it a little more. It's less that I wasn't engaged by William H. Macy's part and more that I, the, the quiz show elements and that stuff didn't resonate with me because mm-hmm. I was never that era. Like the only time before this I had heard about quiz show boys was the Venture, Venture Brothers. Brothers yeah. um, I missed that era of television where that was a thing. So that part, because I love what happens with Macy during the, the frog thing at the end, which I guess is, is jumping ahead. But I really love you right. know, that his, I, I love William H. Macy when he's being absolutely pitiful. He's the, so good at being like, a like when he's drunk and confessing man. to Brad. Yeah. That yeah, he, yeah. 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 And the lines are so you know, elegant. And when he's getting fired, I really like yeah. that scene too. Like I have a lot of love to give. I just don't know where to put it. Yeah. It's very well written line yeah. and he nails it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, God. With his yeah. teeth broken out. Yeah, everything. now he needs oral surgery. I'll yeah. tell you the one, the subplot that bored my, out of my skull the first time through was uh, John C. Riley and Claudia. Because to me, I was, and this is, I was very young when I first saw it, so I think I just wasn't thinking at the level that we're thinking now. I was like, it's the obvious love interest. Do, why don't they get together? I don't understand. Like, why I wanted this the standard arc? beats yeah. of now they kiss, he gets her off drugs, mm-hmm. whatever. I didn't understand like, 
or she overdoses and he realizes the tragedy. It didn't resolve and it really pissed me off. And, I and found there's that so much nuance in that relationship. I'll tell you, the key to it was I didn't realize the arc from her point of view is the reason she's attracted to him is a cop should pick up on the fact that she's addicted to cocaine. She's constantly trying to broadcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that he will intercede. I'm going to do as much coke in front of you, basically. And yeah. push it further and further. Yeah. And he cannot see it. He so badly wants to see an ideal partner in her. Right. Because he's lonely. And so, so the guy who's like, your job is to help people. And you literally pray to God aloud in your cop car where you're like, Jesus, thank you for this job. If I can make someone else's life better today, I'll be a happy cop. Yeah. Then at the end of the movie, I love this. He has totally glossed over her drug problem and just said, like, we're going to be together. okay?" And she's like, fine. And he's like, I'm a happy cop. And it's like, but you didn't help anyone else. Right. You're only serving your own. He he says it's a it's a good day when he gets one of those calls uh, because he gets 16 calls or whatever it is a day that he says in his opening monologue where he says like those are bad and like it could pe- be bad could Real be bad, bad. I love yeah. the way he talks <laughs> he tells the little prophet kid all right with the language coolio thanks ice tea let's zip the lip yeah exactly <laughs> it's like the jesusiest cop of all time and he's he's accurate when he says he's a bad cop he's not he's not a he good all gun. of his police work is terrible which is part of what i found enjoyable about it it's yeah. like yeah. He uh when the detectives are there, he tries to per- like chime in and say like that's when I arrived and like they're like we don't care. Like he's not respected even amongst officers. Which is funny cuz at first you think, "Oh, poor guy, it's a status thing just cuz he's a beat cop and they're detectives." But then a kid tells him who did it and he's just like, "Leave me alone." And he drops his gun and loses it and you're like, "No, they're right not to listen to yeah. you. You're a bad cop." You're really right. bad at that your job. That was a funny turn. Yeah. I like you, John C. Riley, so I thought you were going to be a put upon good cop. But much like in Three Billboards, I'm like, "Sam Rockwell's so likable. There's no way." Nope, he's legitimately racist. Like, they're not pulling punches in that movie. Sam Rockwell's a piece of shit cop mm-hmm. who you they still ask you to see his point of view sometimes. Which is a ballsy move. And I feel like Magnolia plays the same line. And he, of like, course, you're supposed to feel sympathetic for fucking Tom Cruise. Right. <laughs> Which I love. The re- I, I do. Like, you do. Like, he's he's still a, a person who does bad things. But, like, you get it. Like, how could you not grow up fucked up if your dad abandons your family when you're a young teenager? And then yeah. at 14, you have to watch your mother die in front of you. Yeah. Like, yeah. most people will grow up some kind of fucked from that. Right. Yeah. As he says to his dad, you just die, cocksucker. You and know? I got it this time that his dad also admits, yeah, I treated your mom like shit and cheated on her all the time, which I didn't make a secret of. So I'm like, oh, he modeled it after his dad. Mm-hmm. Right. But the only time I actually, like, tears, like, cried, cried was is the Tom Cruise moment, but man, it's the writing. To me, it's the writing mainly. Uh, the line is, you fucking asshole, you fucking asshole, you fucking asshole, don't go, don't go away, you fucking asshole, don't go away. You right, right. Oh, the slow transition into pathetically wanting your dad to not die is so good. Yeah, and, that, <laughs> and it's as he's shaking, holding his <laughs> yeah. big girl's hands. You know. And it's somewhere a dog dies of pill overdose. Of pill overdose. <laughs> and I, I should say, I haven't analyzed this at all, because I watched it hours ago, Yeah, right. uh, which is why I'm a bad guest. But uh, <laughs> my favorite scene, and again, I, I couldn't tell you why, is when the male nurse for his dying dad... Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yeah. yeah. Phil. I'm bad at or, names. Yeah. Also named Phil in the also movie. Yeah, also Phil. named Phil. Yeah. And also Luis Guzman is named Louis. He's also named Louis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He just um, fucks with kids. 
Yeah, is is when he's ordering three different porn magazines. Oh, what it's is so it? good. <laughs> like milk or something? Like uh, bread, bread, peanut butter, and cigarettes. <laughs> peanut cigarettes. butter, bread, cigarettes. A hustler. The a cigarettes are important house. because he needs the cigarettes because they... He fakes it for Big Earl, Earl but and yeah, the reveal that it isn't that because it's he's not—it's innocent. It's that he needs to find, seduce, and destroy, and mm-hmm. so Tom he can. Cruise, he, yeah, he's trying to find an ad for Tom Cruise's company, which would be advertised in porno. Man. In Hustler, yeah. But that is such a refreshing turn you never see. Yeah. Especially, I feel like it's Philip almost a wink to the fact that Phil Hoffman has a creepy vibe about him. Like, well, so yeah, and he good. always felt like happiness. There's a lot yeah. of movies where he's just like, oh, I'm just Buffalo Bill. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's like a hustler, a playboy, a penthouse, and the woman's like, "Fine, do you yeah. still want the peanut butter and bread?" And he's like, <laughs> yes. "Yeah, why?" Which what? is, and she goes, "Nothing." <laughs> which is an echo, though, of Julianne Moore's scene where, like, yes, do you like you getting a lot of stuff, is lady? The, yeah, is the motivation for why you're buying oh things revealing of yourself? This woman has just made the impossibly difficult decision to give her dying husband a medication that will lessen his pain but make him immediately slip into dementia and she goes to the pharmacy to pick it up and they're like you're not going to use this for recreational purposes, you can't mix are those you, you know yeah. yeah and that is also oh. a tour de force monologue fuck she's you just like, you fuck call you. me lady suck my dick yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a fucking good scene she kills it she's yeah. so good yeah. Oh. yeah ahead of its time too because that's I mean, the, the problem of uh, people being denied prescriptions for painkillers or opiates or whatnot just based on the fact that they're young women, like, that's a, a massive problem right now. If you sure. talk to anyone who's a, a young female who's been prescribed an opiate, y- they always get shit, like, more so even than young men. Like, you're just um, in a di- Like, oh, you know, you know you're not supposed to take this recreationally. Whitey needs, like, you're... you're you're getting paid. You're a fucking pharmacist. Yeah. It's, you're not a doctor. It's also, not your you, job to talk shit to me. The doctor gave me this shit. Yeah. They yeah. make a clear point that you did the thing. You took all the things over. You made the phone call. They yeah. clearly confirmed the numbers and you still come back still, and give me shit. Yeah. yeah. You call me yeah. lady. That you call me lady. Job. Yeah. <laughs> you call me lady. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. That fucking scene. I... I'm not very helpful on this podcast because every time every time I watch this movie, I'm just like, oh, that fucking scene is so good. Also, it really lets you know how much inflation has changed because you got <laughs> peanut butter, bread, and cigarettes, and three magazines. $31.95, something like that. Less than $32. Yeah. The pink dot has good old Good old $19.99. Man, I just had a line here that happens to be right in front of me. I like that we're just hopping around. I wouldn't want to give a linear synopsis of this because I'm like not much of a point. Yeah. Well, and like when we cover Princess Bride, we kind of assume everyone who's listening to the episode has seen it, and we so we openly talk about spoilers, kind of in order. Uh, I bet a lot of people haven't seen this, and I hope they're inspired to watch it. Yeah. So I don't need to like go. This happens, then this happens. But I'm thoroughly glad I saw it as someone who would good. not have ever watched it yeah. if it weren't for being asked to do this podcast. (laughs) What's the line? I'm reading your book. Watch this movie. (laughs) Um, Oh, it's Earl. And I just wrapped up Kurt Vonnegut's, which means that I've just read every word Kurt Vonnegut ever wrote. And they're all in my head. And I'm just amazed at how much truth in the guise of simplicity is always what hits me so hard. This has a very Vonnegut ending, too. Yeah, yeah. and vibe to the dialogue. Yeah. And the line I want to shout out is Earl, the, when he's delirious from cancer, says, sometimes mistakes and it okay. Sometimes other mistakes not okay. You know you should do better. Yeah. And I'm like, that's 
the most efficient sum up of mm-hmm. life that I agree with that I've ever heard. It's yep. so short. Yep. It's like, yeah. And the interconnectedness, I think, speaks to the central thesis of, and again, apologies, you didn't have time to analyze this in the cracked way that we normally are conditioned <laughs> to, but we did, and we like talked about it for hours already. Um, the reason it's an ensemble cast, it seems to me, is to show something that Vonnegut also said a lot, which is everything's so interconnected and you're not aware and can't be aware of all the ways your lives are connected that you don't know what's good and bad news. You don't know if this grief you're going through is good or bad or if this joy is good or bad in the long run. There is no long run. It's just chaos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just a blossoming it's magnolia chaos. flower. Yeah, it's chaos, not a necessarily a bad way. Um, obviously, there's happy endings in this movie uh, that are disguised with dysfunction but there's a lot of cruel endings as well and they're not like uh they're not justice for the characters they're not like you are a bad person like for example like a frog saves philip baker hall from shooting himself in the head mr bookman Mm -hmm. yeah uh from shooting himself in the head in the same way that as you know um ricky jay does the uh, narration at the beginning of the kid who's 17 who uh, wants to kill himself because his parents are t- horrible gets shot by his mom who has a misfire that he l- loaded so he's you know yeah that's actually a classical all the openers where they just talk about statistically unlikely things greenberry hill and i had heard before in a book i had as a kid about right. crazy They're just coincidences certain, but They're it happened life there but things it happened. That happened yeah right and so i think that the the resounding statement to me about this film that really like i actually had a long debate with my brother about this like um like with the significance of the phrase at one point it like switches to a macro lens and looks at a painting on a wall and it says, but it happened. Yes, let's unpack this point. I love so it. what? So to me, I want to ask you guys: What do you think? Uh, what do you think PTA is saying about? Is there some form of, uh, like fate or a destiny, or is it only about just chaos? Like, what is this movie really trying to say, or is it saying nothing? I mean, what I took out of it and I may have took it at, taken that out of it because it's something that's always going through my head anyway, is that the sheer size and scope of both the world and the universe means that literally everything will happen. So literally everything <laughs> is possible. Right. Like, that's what I took from that, is that anything is possible, but not in a uplifting way or in a in a pessimistic way. No, just in just... a The craziest shit in the world can and will happen because of the size of the world. Right. Yeah. Just by essentially electrons hitting electrons yeah and at some point your life will be caught up in something baffling because that's just like you will you will have synchron synchronous encounters that are circumstance yeah yeah and that are strange and bizarre and shocking and there's almost no point in analyzing it because that's just the nature it just of reality. seems like the hand of fate right the time. yeah what what do you think of the narrator at the beginning and end of the film ricky j saying ricky j. yeah uh saying uh i'd like to think that these things weren't c- circumstance that they were just mere coincidence that they were just mere coincidence sorry uh do you think that that's so now, like, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Not only just from a film version, but also, like, as a human, I also agree with you that the world is 
largely entirely populated by chaos, but does it mean that we do anything with that information? And, w and if we do anything with that information, like ought it change us? Do we, uh, is the takeaway from this movie that we should despair or is it that we should have hope or that we should not, care at all i think it's neutral no not not neutral so it's in the true sense neutral dnd i do think it's that not yeah. not neutral in the sense that it's saying you shouldn't care or engage but a neutral in the sense that if you're asking the movie uh well is there fate or is there not fate it's saying uh yeah yeah you think about that sometimes that's all it's really sometimes you yeah. stopped at a stoplight and you're witnessing your Sometimes you're at a stoplight and you across from you is your daughter doing cocaine. Sometimes that is just true. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I mean, frogs fall from the sky, <laughs> you know, like, and it's just, that's crazy that that can happen. Well, the, but it, I mean, and my favorite thing is always symbolic layering. So what I loved about the, but it happened thing is, uh, when you see that moment of that zoom into, but it happened, it works on multiple levels because it is both the filmmaker saying, I'm not going to explain why this, the frogs fell from the sky, but it did happen. You have to accept it because the movie depicted it. And also she, I, you can like, uh, retroactively understand what the painting means to her. Does that make sense? Yeah. Without spoiling it. Yeah. The painting to her, but it happened is about her own private life and her plot. <laughs> right, right. And yet at the same time, I just love that shit when the filmmaker can wink, but it's not just a wink for wink's sake. It's embedded in moving the plot forward in a normal way. So you can miss the wink and the movie still works. That's important. Right. And I hate how now there's just this preponderance of winks and you better get the wink because if not, the movie's not very cute. It, oh, yeah. Which is not, the joke? They're not deserving winks usually. Yeah, it's just like, look guys. at me. Well, yeah, of course I know what you did. Everyone saw what yeah, you did. We right. see it in the writing. Yeah. Or they're like, we're in a movie right now. We fucking know, Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why, when at the very the last, you know, like half second of the movie, when Claudia looks at Cameron, smiles, that big grin of she has a love now. It's like a moment that feels earned to me. It does. It's the one time a movie has ended with the person just looking directly at camera that I was like, perfect choice. I usually think that's so hackneyed. But this was like punctuating, look, she's happy in this moment. You got to enjoy those moments. Yeah. Like, because it's just going to be, the roller coaster is not going to stop. Yep. And it's mm -hmm. a moment of forgiveness. It's a moment of, here I am, this cop who I just so desperately, as we, the if you take the John C. Riley, who's the person talking to her, saying things along the lines of it's like almost drowned it out by the soundtrack, but especially if you listen to it or watch it with subtitles, subtitles. Uh, it really helps, which you probably didn't have the benefit of. I did have subtitles. Oh, okay, yeah, great, yeah, yeah. because uh, the ending is it's I I I almost regret like I feel a little bit of anger towards PTA. I'm glad he kind of hid it away, but it's like so much hiding because I don't know if people really will get it is, which is the last several lines of dialogue are just, it's just a sh short monologue by uh, John C. Riley, which is just saying like, I know, like I know that we started this like strangely, but I want to be with you and I want to, whatever you're going through, I'm going to be there. I'm not going to run away. It is implied that you could be fairly optimistic that right. he will one day find out she's a coke addict and help her with that. And yeah. not only that, I think, I mean, like I was, we were talking about, like, I think he knows I, he's a cop. 
He's, he's pretty bad dumb. At his he's a bad he's dumb. cop. Yeah, yeah. He's not perceptive. He's a, he's a good person who's a bad cop, which yeah. is not a combination you see often in film. Right. And yeah. regardless if he's a bad person or not, he so desperately wants from the first scene of his where it's he's he's watching his own tape of a, like a dating channel. Um, he so desperately wants to find someone that he will take anyone. And if that person is a coke addict, I think that he would be blind to it because he would just be like, you know what? That's what I want. I want somebody to love me. And yeah. the fact that she is. But being, I would argue that if you're not, you know what I mean? You're she, you're not, she's not a real person. If you're not going to get to know her flaws and all and engage with it. That's what he wants though. I, I, I don't think we, no. I think he will get there, but he doesn't in the movie. The movie just ends on a hopeful note that they might go down that path. I and think have a that that's relationship. isn't, but that's what I'm, I, I, that's what I'm arguing is that I think that that's what kind of life is, is that there is no such thing necessarily as like love at first sight. No. Yeah. Uh, obviously we'd all want to be in a situation where you like slowly get to know each other and say, this is the right thing and we should be together. Sometimes it just takes that leap of faith in a way where you just go like, I just want a situation where someone could love me because no one around me even noticed who I am. Yeah. I mean, and there are no happy endings. There are just happy moments, which is something this movie is true to. And I think the point, I I don't think you can say with any degree of certainty, this relationship's going to work out. But by the same token, you can't say it won't. The point is there's possibilities that the thing these two people have will work out. In this moment, she can feel hope and joy for a second. And that's all that matters. The moment is real. The moment is real. And we as an audience know it might work. It happens. It's not inherently doomed, even though there are problems because that's just part of life as everybody brings problems into a relationship and some work out and some don't. And like, so that's, I, I enjoy, I like the honesty of that because very few romantic liaisons in movies even in good movies are particularly honest and right. this one is because it's not it's not perfect it's two very flawed people like he's probably going to get fired at some point because he's a lose terrible your cop service arm yeah, yeah you can't <laughs> it's a major deal and He'll be she's suspended, got least. a horrible coke problem right. like they they have some shit to overcome but at the same time people have overcome worse and it's not an inherently doomed no. situation either yeah, yeah. and to juxtapose that in a film with suck my fucking sausage yeah. Yeah. or no pussy has nine lives as is yeah. on the wall as he's respect the cock respect the cock uh, it's got a lot of things to say about like how we deal incorrectly about with that situation we are sometimes confronted with that happy moment and we just are not available you yeah. know dead on arrival so to speak it is so Vonnegut-y. Vonnegut, one of my favorite of his passages is about this concept, and he says, the thing that fills me with utter despair and the idea that everything anyone's ever done is totally hollow and meaningless and pointless is, of course, the idea that time progresses. And anyone who can think big picture is like, what does it mean that the heat death of the universe will come and none of this will have mattered? Like, what's yeah. the fucking point? And then he says, and the only thing that makes me feel the opposite of that is thinking that, you know, my grandfather told me about this one really nice day. He went fishing with his uncle and they had like the greatest day of their lives. And even after all their particles are dispersed throughout the universe and everything ceases to exist, that will have happened. But it happened. And like, isn't there meaning that anything ever existed or is there not? And he constantly went back and forth. 
And man, it's just, yeah, I, I feel like PTA must have read Vonnegut because oh, well, a, a through line in this, they literally say is, uh, so it goes, yeah, it's so one it goes, of the ending so lines of the movie is yeah. they repeat, so it goes through. It has to be a Vonnegut yeah. nod. And then like, they, yeah. add, they add a phrase, which I do think is equally insightful, but basically saying the same thing. The past is, we're done with the past, but the past isn't done with us, which is not to say that there's fate. It's just to say that the accumulation of random shit that's happened throws chaos into your journey and there's no way out of that the regret (laughs) you make right people think you're born with a clean slate but you're absolutely born into a rigid like any changes you make are going to be hard fought you are heavily conditioned to fit your whatever role you happen to be born into yeah and you people say you got to leave the past behind you don't dwell on the past but that's an impossibility the yeah. past is that that's right. like saying leave your ears behind like right. it's part of you that's more possible yeah, yeah. like that's <laughs> easier because you can, you can sever your ears yeah. and they're gone <laughs> yeah and they will not follow Thank you God, that yeah. Shit. uh yeah uh, you're absolutely right and not only that like uh there's i think the statement of like people say that because they want you to feel good in the moment so it's like kind of said in this thing of like uh you are unhappy be more happy I want to bring that to you, but it's a ho- it's a hollow gesture because ultimately it's not true. It it's a false, it's a uh, like a logical fallacy that we do all the time to ourselves because um, you have to live with the past. Yeah, you have to. Well, you have we to all wake regret. up. Yeah, we all wake up in the middle of the fucking night and go, "Ah, oh, that fucking thing I did eight years ago." God, I just will never live that down, you know, or like I treated this person that poorly. We all have that. And, you know, like everyone. And that's kind of like the instantaneous. That's the thing is that we live a linear progression of time, but we have instantaneous memory. I worked that are warped because the memories also slowly become calcified narratives that don't necessarily bear full resemblance to what happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, It's, it's, I used to work in special education and the kids who didn't have health problems, but just had like mental retardation and whatnot. The, the reason the aspects of their lives that were that the aspect of their life that was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for that I'm jealous of is that they're the only people I'll ever meet who don't have regret. I don't mm. think they live with regret. Some of them. Some of them have are high enough functioning right. that they do have that. But the the kids were very low functioning, but not physically, you know, handicapped in some mm-hmm. way. They just live in the moment and are happy, and they don't think back on things they said, a conversation five years ago where they said a dumb thing, and like wake up in the night going, "Why the fuck did I say or that?" Like, have that'll a never be a part of their life. Like not performing up to society's expectations or anything. Yeah, they just yeah. don't even think about. They that. don't even yeah. think about that. They just enjoy sunlight on their face and flaming hot Cheetos. Which is um, funny that it's which like. Is, uh, that's is that your autobiographical title? Is that if sun on the face and flaming, flaming hot, hot cheetos? cheetos? If I wrote a book about that time, yeah. But it's just interesting that what you're describing is a mentally handicapped kid, but also the Buddha. Like the Buddha would basically act like that. Yeah, that's what. Or in some religions, that's what you're supposed to be doing is just enjoying the sun on your face. Ultimate flaming or, hot yeah. cheetos. I guess. Yeah, yeah. More like uh, what he eat a giant, three giant plates of pork under the Bodhi tree. Was it pork? Mm. I thought he ate. Pork, oh, yeah. God, I'm an asshole. Now nah, you're fine. It's all right. There's another um, in the arc with Jason Robards. The uh, the t- there, there's such a nuanced moment that PTA got because I pretty sure I can't remember if it was his mother or father. Uh, he had, he lived with cancer. Uh, 
PGA, like saw his one of his family members die. That makes so sense. that's why it's so visceral. And the the moment where he's like, "Can I get a cigarette?" and you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman hands him a, a cigarette and acts like he lights it, and then he like, <sighs> like acts yeah. like he smokes it, is so reminiscent of a real thing that I saw my mother go through. Uh, when uh, our uh, my uncle was mm-hmm. dying of stomach cancer, which is that he ha- was on a regimented diet for like, you'd be told by medical practi- practitioners, you are going to die. Do not do, you can't eat, you, you're going to die first off. Or whatever. But uh, yeah, but you're also going to not be able to eat these things. You will, this will keep you alive longer. And my mom would bring what he called secret hamburgers mm-hmm. because his wife wouldn't know about it. And so his sister would bring uh, hamburgers because that's the thing he missed. He was like, I want to eat those hamburgers, but she wouldn't let him. So it's that, that beautiful kind of nuance of that. And it's a kind of interesting factoid that after um, of the same year or the, I think a year before, uh, Fight Club came out. And in like the first hour and a half, uh, Fincher has like dropped a bunch of, I guess, uh, Polonic as well, but drops a bunch of like jokes about cancer mm-hmm. and PTA famously walked out of the theater and wrote oh, a letter. That's his trigger. To, he doesn't want to hear jokes about cancer. Yeah. Victims. And he wrote a letter to Fincher saying, fuck you. And Fincher did a public apology. Wow. Interesting that he has the privilege to be able to get that because i'm like everyone has the right to be offended by the grief that is struck home if a comedian right or someone pushes that button yeah get offended walk out i don't think they owe it to you necessarily to make a public apology that you well whatever this is a whole different topic yeah i mean coming no, off never owes com- anybody an apology but it changes my opinion of someone if they give it which is you're right yeah. exactly yeah. i yeah. feel like the the system works i don't know i just feel weird about pta getting such attention that his offense can be like oh well you're pta i better respond to this hey man like <laughs> less than an hour ago we were recording the uh i love you daddy podcast you know like, right and i th- and i think there's a lot of women there. in the me too movement yeah. who would say yeah no one fucking cared when we were offended about the sexual harassment rampant yep. in our industry. Yep. Yeah. And it's, but PTA is like, don't make fun of cancer. My mother died of cancer. And he's like, I apologize PTA. But it's also, <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily an assumption that PTA was saying you need to apologize for it. I think you, I don't know. I don't know what moved. the details of that letter is, but yeah. it could just as well be fuck you for fuck you sake. Sure. You know, just like you suck, <laughs> which is a, le- a valid letter. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I think like, if you haven't done someone wrong, if you've just said something that offended them, like you don't have to say, I'm sorry that I said these things, but you can say, I'm sorry that a thing that I said or a thing that I put together had this effect on you. Right. That was not its intent. And I wasn't thinking about that. And I apologize for that fact. Yeah. Yeah. Like all I know is there are such specific forms of grief in everyone's life that while I do censure, like I just, I really did like Dave Chappelle's new special, for example, and I won't unpack that too much, but uh, there is that line of like, I don't know if a writer, there's not an immunity to a topic being discussed that reminds you of grief from your life because otherwise we couldn't talk about anything. That's yeah. all. It's whether it's being handled with tact and empathy yeah, is what it comes down to. And I think PTA is doing that. 
in this case. It could, yeah, who's who's to say? And it, you, things can be funny and also objectively problematic. I laugh a lot. I've laughed at a lot of jokes over the years about people overdosing on heroin or whatever, and movie, right. people being addicted to heroin. I've also had have friends who have had heroin problems, and they don't find those television shows, movies, those cutaway gags, or whatever. Right. Funny. And, and I don't see why you have yeah. to reach a place where you perceive the world the same. Can't you go like, that makes sense. You wouldn't find it funny. Yeah. 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 And that's the end of the conversation. And well, I just feel like people are very engaged these days in trying to be like, uh, no, there are things that are objectively on the list of things that are funny and things that are not. And that's not accurate. The world is too complex for that. To yeah, be it's true. I, I can't enjoy a movie like John Wick anymore. Um, because I've seen of all the mass shooting news. No, because I've seen sucks? what happens when people get shot to death. Right. Ah. Uh, Does that go for any movie that glorifies no, gunshots? No. No. Like Heat is fine. The, my problem is movies that make it look like nothing. So John Wick, it's a cartoon. It's it's guns he and just violence. Puts people it, down and they heat, fall asleep. It's yeah. incredibly <laughs> realistic. Everything yeah. from functionally the way the weapons work, like it's famous among fire. Like if you talk to anyone who is a professional prop mat gun prop master who who works in firearms in the film industry and you ask what are the best movies in around guns heat will always come up because that shootout is masterful in terms of the accuracy right, i have no issue right. with that i have no issue with saving private ryan i can watch those and it's fine i watch a movie like john wick and it just kind of it pisses me off um it pisses me off because i think there's a societal harm in uh uh, uh turning violence into a cartoon but at the same time that just me thinking that, and it doesn't mean other people no, shouldn't be able to enjoy John Wick. Exactly, like, that's you're a saying it should be banned. Valid. You're yeah. saying you're allowed to say what effect yeah. it has on you. Yeah. Not, yeah. not that I want to go uh, backpedal, but yeah, just like that's... when we were talking about how, like, you know, like things can be horrible, and you know, might gr- grieve someone if you say something. There, it reminded me of uh, one of my favorite quotes in the world. Now, paraphrase it just because. I'm awful at memorization, but it's a George Bernard Shaw quote, which mm-hmm. is life does not cease to be tragic when it's funny, just as it does not cease to be funny when it's tragic. Yeah, that's and right. And I, I think that that's kind of at the heart of Magnolia is that yeah. sometimes it is funny for Julianne Moore to be yelling, suck my dick, yeah. and then cut to uh, essentially Tom Cruise saying the same thing. And it's both funny and tragic in both instances. Well, you know, it's funny. You could paraphrase that George Bernard Shaw quote by saying, if you're hurt, then you're worth bringing pain. And when the sun don't work, the good Lord bring the rain in. That shit will help you solve the case. And that is the same, like, which that's the, what the little little kid is, the prophet raps. Mm -hmm. And I think when he says that shit will help you solve a case, he doesn't mean the case of who's the worm. Who's the worm and who's the murder. He means life, right? Because he's the prophet. And, all there is to life. And Bill Hicks does a great bit about this too. It's a ride and that's all it will ever be. And you can't make it more than that. Um, Like if you're hurt, then you're worth bringing pain in. We will hurt people and people will hurt us. Uh, When the sun don't work, the good Lord bring the rain in. Sometimes life is good. Sometimes life (laughs) Life is is bad. bad, If you can accept that, your life is solved because that's all you're going to get out of life. Yeah. Is the, the, the ceaseless cavalcade of chaos. It's up to you to accept the chaos or not. Yeah. Yeah, You can either write it and accept that at some point it will do you in or we can whine about it. Right. Which is (laughs) as in so many words said by, you know, uh, big Earl on his deathbed. 
as he's just saying, it's a it's a fucking thing. It's a fucking thing. It's a fucking thing. Uh, when he's talking about his memory, about how it's like not perfect. At, it was right there. It was like, it's not as easy as it was. The recall of his memory mm-hmm. is firing off not as, you know, uh, perfectly. And he's just, he's angry at that fact. And then he stops and says, you know what? I don't even care about remembering anymore. Now I'm just angry I'm just that I can't. That yeah. Yeah. And he says, life isn't short, it's long. Life is so damn long, and there's not very much of a punch at the end. Yeah. And it's like, if that doesn't let you know, don't expect wrap-ups from this movie. It's right. like, don't expect wrap-ups from this movie. <laughs> it is, it's pretty meta. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't notice, I mean, I don't know how I didn't notice the first time, but how meta it is right. for Philip Hoffman to be on the phone with a guy saying, I know I sound crazy, but this is that scene in a movie yeah. where stuff seems crazy, but it is actually happening. And next is the scene where you help me out. Yeah. Like you had the balls PTA to put that, like a scene about a scene with no double entendre. It's literally saying this is a movie. Right. <laughs> well, it works so interesting. That's the way people talk. And Philip Hoffman yeah. is the yeah. audience yeah. clearly because yeah. he doesn't have an arc. No. He is us. Yeah. He, well, and, and that's, I don't know. We, movies myth like books whatever like fiction is how we build the conceptual framework of the world that we live in and how we inter we interpret everything through a lens of the fiction that we have been exposed to in our lives people always have people always will it doesn't matter where you come from every single right. person who has ever lived does this and so it's more honest to have him say that in the scene than to have him not say that because that's I don't know, like when you, that's an extreme situation to be put in. It's a real, I'm sure people have been put in his situation. I'm sure there have been nurses or healthcare workers right. out there who someone has said, find can my, you long find my son, kid. my long yeah. lost, whatever. I need to make things right with this person. And that's such an extreme situation. That's such like a weird, chaotic thing to have happen. That the only thing you would do in the moment is compare it to like, oh, this is like fucking Magnolia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It leans into the thing that zombie shows for some reason are scared to mention that zombie movies exist or to have the characters go, it's crazy how there are all these zombie movies and now there really are zombies. Um, like they'll never do that. And right. often they even shy away from using the word zombie. But I love that it gave you this sense of looking in a mirror with a mirror behind you of infinite regression. Cause he's like, nice right. infinity shot. He yeah. says there's crazy shit <laughs> in my venture. Brothers a few here. moments <laughs> in your life, life is long and there will definitely be a few moments that are so coincidental or emotionally extreme. You'll feel like you're in a movie. This is that moment for me. Yeah. And I'm like, like you just said, I could imagine myself referencing this movie yeah. to describe that feeling later, and it's like an infinite recursion. Yeah, if I were in that situation, I'd say, have you seen Magnolia? This is, Magnolia. <laughs> this is that scene from Magnolia. This is that scene from Magnolia. It's crazy to me how uh, unreliable narration or unreliable memory is in this movie. Like, I, It's not an unreliable narrator. It's just not an omnipotent. It's not or omniscient, a mission, but, narrator? yeah, but I I go farther just in a few like Philip Baker Hall, like not just that's Big the Earl, main one, that's but Phil Baker Hall, who's Jimmy Gator, uh, he because he was in a drunken stupor for most of his life, which is why he makes the joke with his wife, like uh, I got a lot of drinking to do before I you know, do the showtime, showtime, which yeah. you know is uh, knowing alcoholics, that's like sometimes you reference the drinking because you. It's like a. It helps you normalize. Normalize. At this point, he's obviously old enough and set in his ways enough that everyone's accepted. He's not gonna not be an alcoholic. Yeah, no, (laughs) it keeps him humble and stuff. But like when she straight up asks him, "Did you touch her?" Mm -hmm. You know, Claudia. Like, 
and therefore assumably why Claudia is hooked on, you know, narcotics, why she's fucked up. She's crazy, quote unquote. This scenario has been played out in so many plays, movies and novels. And I've never heard the answer he gives. It's such a fresh take. Right. Yeah. And he's just like, I can't remember. Yeah. And you get the sense that my daughter, you get the sense that it's true. He yeah, can't remember. he he got home one night. He was drunk. He probably thought it was many nights. His wife, he doesn't or remember he many didn't nights. Thought right. it was a different girl, or maybe thought it was his daughter, and he didn't care. And he doesn't. It remember. doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't not recall. And he has so much guilt about it that when she asks, like, he actually asks his wife at one point. But like, if you like, I remember when we were watching it, there was this moment. Uh, I forget the line, but it's like essentially. Like if I said that I did, would that change anything? No. Would you stay? She's gonna leave. Would you stay? He's yeah. just trying to accomplish yeah. the immediate goal. That's right. When your lover's walking out, he just goes, "Okay, if I said I did molest her, yeah. would you not leave?" You and know? he does not revise his tactic at right. all. Yeah. As soon as she answers no, she goes, no, that wouldn't change. That anything. wouldn't change anything. He's like, "Well, I just don't remember." Like he he reverts back to that because. It, that's why I think we believe it's true is that he's so desperate that he's, he's out of maneuvers. He's out of maneuvers. He's just looking for a way out that it hurts less. Yeah. And my question is, is the last yeah. time we ever see him, the frog hitting the gun out of his hands? Do we see any further scenes? Uh, I with think, him? yeah, I think because then the last scene is her with Claudia, but the I did mother. notice that the bullet hits a socket and a, an electrical fire starts. I think through the frog, yeah. Did you think that was or anything? Is his house gonna burn down? Is he? Does he live through the movie? What uh, was your interpretation? I don't know, it ha- but it happened. Yeah. Uh, right, but I'm wondering but, if yeah, the electrical no fire. There's a single shot of the socket like lighting the. It could wall, be. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't know if that's a subtle implication. He's still gonna die in a fire. Right, right. <laughs> it still, definitely could be. I mean, I think it's. I think the. I guess what I took out of that scene is that he gets another chance to decide if he wants to die right now. Right. Because he's that's guns still there. They have more that's than true. one bullet. Like he he gets he in could the see, house is on he fire. He could yeah. believe God interceded yeah. or he could go, whatever weird frog shit's happening. I'm not it doesn't yeah, I don't want to hang around to see I'm, what's up with these frogs. And it doesn't right. change yeah. my plan to kill myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's like that's I mean part of the thing is part of the point of the movie is there's no happy or sad endings. There are just moments. And we know that he has another moment beyond that one. We don't yeah. know how many more moments he has, I mean, but there's at least anyway. another moment. Yeah. yeah. That's a great yeah. point. Even if like after massive strokes <clears throat> with a gun in your face, you have one moment left. You yeah. could still do anything. It's could crazy happen. to me that I didn't realize. And I remember when we were watching it, I was like, Oh shit. It totally makes a lot of sense. Now is that I didn't catch that his, the nature of his, uh, disease is heart or sorry a brain and bone uh cancer Cancer, so he's like rotten to the core Mm. because he's essentially been plagued by this misdeed that has followed him for yeah decades you believe in the mind body connection yeah guilt has slowly opened up his immunities to cancer yeah (laughs) right which is just only symbolic but like you know i think it's real but that's just my crazy (laughs) motherfucker should no i I do think your mental state greatly affects like how much disease gets into your body but that's not backed up by science well to a degree it is to a degree but i'm saying your immune system is lower too yeah yeah, yeah. i'm not speaking from a place of detailed knowledge of the research on it that's all i'm saying Yeah, yeah yeah, fair enough. But I do believe it's true. Uh, yeah, I really... When he walked into Claudia's room in his first scene, 
I really wanted him to say he's there to collect a vastly overdue book for that she owes like $85 on. Do you watch Seinfeld, Robert? No, the no, no, I, I don't like Seinfeld. The main <laughs> thing that that, that yeah. guy is known for is this role on Seinfeld where he is a book, not true. a book cop that the library sends out to aggressively hunt down people who have books that are like 18 years old. Yeah, 1971. Oh. It's like the cheesiest, like non-creepy role ever. And I just can't shake that. It's fucking hilarious. Is but he does. A, he's also great in it. He really is a great actor in it. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah he's been in a lot of stuff. Sometimes you see an actor first in a role. Like for me, uh, was his name? Guy in Breaking Bad. Uh, yeah, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. For me, Brian Cranston will always be a racist with Mulder in the back of a car. Oh, oh that's fun. Yeah, Not yeah, even yeah. Malcolm in the Middle. No, I never saw Malcolm tainted. in the Middle. No, it was I, the I just love that episode of X Files yeah. so fucking much. That's funny. It's a great yeah. episode of X Files. Uh, X Files had a lot. Like they. What was the movie that was based on Vanishing Point? The the movie that that was like heavily inspired from with the fucking guy and racing across the southwest in his car and all the I don't know if I've seen seen it. I like Carmen. X Files really pulled a lot. There's like so many episodes you're like, oh, Jack Black was in this. You know, like this is where that's. Hey, speaking of that, Patton Oswalt is randomly a black act dealer in a flashback. That was weird. That that was I had to rewind it or not rewind it, but you know, that was Patton back to be like, was that fucking Patton Oswalt? Yeah, it was indeed. Yeah. 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 Uh, That's another PTA uses also uh, Paul F. Tompkins a lot. And it's weird because PTA movies are not the kind of thing you'd expect to pop up. Yeah. He was in There Will Be Blood. And you're was like, Paul miss? F. Tompkins? Did I miss Paul F. Tompkins? On IMDb, he is listed. And I couldn't spot him. I did not. So he might be a voice of something. I think he's a voice. I don't but know But I think where he they're is. like friends and neighbors. And so he just sneaks him in. Also, shit. we found out that there's not one, not two, but three Deadwood actors. Alumni. Yeah. Alumni. Whoa, at the I very, didn't catch any of that. At the very beginning, uh, during the narration sequence, one of the lead fireman who's yeah. just there for a single shot uh, when they're talking about the scuba diver who's stuck in the tree, uh, Patton Oswalt, um, is the captain from uh, George Hurst, yep. season three. Also Ricky Jay, who's Ricky also Jay. a famous magician in real life yeah. and has appeared on Simpsons as a magician, which is funny, was also in Deadwood. And then in the bar, uh, the last one is... Ellsworth. Ellsworth. From Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't notice Remember, He's that. one of the guys that's just idly listening to William like, H. Macy and l- acting like... He goes, uh, he's the, the guy fuck? that goes, your parents took all your money? Oh, that's fucked up, man. That's basically his whole that's right, thing oh, in the movie. Shit. Just very tiny, <laughs> yeah. uh, unrelated, because Deadwood didn't happen for a year, like five years later. But just like the ilk of actor base that PTA pulls from is superb. Yeah. See, all I can think now is that another person who could have crushed the role of the Quiz show quasi rapist guy. Donnie uh, Smith? I was going to say oh, Ian McShane. Oh, Bookman. Ian oh, McShane, yeah, for yeah. sure. But he can do anything. Powers yeah. Booth. Watch. No, Powers <laughs> Booth would be broadcasting it too early. Yeah. He, like, like, he touched someone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Powers Booth. I always feel that way yeah, when he she's, comes on screen. He's got did that you, voice. Did that you touch that molester. young girl? Yeah. I don't recall. <laughs> I don't believe you based on your voice alone. Wait, was that was that Powers Booth in the, the fucking Matthew McConaughey movie where he and his brother and his dad are all chosen by God to murder child molesters? I don't know I that movie. I think he's the cop that, okay. yeah. That's a great movie. <laughs> you can think of the, if you can think of the title, interrupt uh, and shout it out. No, it's, I, I, I'll look it up. Yeah. I feel like we have to at least mention the soundtrack because it's a very subdued soundtrack. John Bryan and Amy Mann. Uh, yeah, and it's not like the kind of soundtrack where, like in Reservoir Dogs, 
it shouts itself out. And by the end of the movie, you're thinking they're going to release this as a soundtrack. It's a good soundtrack. Album. Right. Right. But it is like this one is a much more subdued soundtrack. And a lot of the songs are included diegetically so that you don't think of them as soundtrack. But right. Amy Mann really did construct working with PTA, a unique score for this film. And there are, Lines in the movie that become lyrics in the soundtrack. Didn't she create the music after she had watched the cut? Yeah. So there's like uh, a, one of my favorite Amy Mann songs starts with the line, Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing each other again? Deathly, right? Deathly. And I, and then it's like, that's straight up word for word a line from the script. That's what yeah. Claudia says. And uh, the one I definitely want to shout out to people who do know the movie one of the best songs on the soundtrack is Driving Sideways. Driving Sideways. But that song's not actually used in the movie. Yeah. And I always wondered what it was in reference to or how it got written and then cut or whatever. When the ambulance flips and slides into the parking lot sideways, that's it's clearly the scene sideways, that inspired yeah. that also, song. Also, terrible ambulance driver. Oh, I know. He could have broke at so many points. Yes. It's not how you, if stuff starts hitting the car, you break. You yeah. just, right. you just break. Rose's crash is believable because she slams on the brakes immediately and you have this skid effect yeah. on the frog guts. Uh, the yeah. ambulance driver drives very straight for yeah. a long time where you're like, why are you not applying you the brakes? You had so many opportunities <laughs> because to, you're to so fix close this situation. To the hospital. Yeah, that's it. He can see the hospital. He's like, I just want to fucking get there. I bet. I, there might a lot be of some... public servants who are bad at their <laughs> jobs in this movie. There might be EMT training where it's like there's a life in, in, the, you know, like in the back that needs saving. So I yeah. keep driving because like... I will probably not, you know, flip over that, you know, that probably won't happen. And uh, every second matters right now. But I don't know. I'll tell you from I I took EMT training. I did not. I was not trained to drive. I was trained to just be one of the guys in the vehicle. But they did tell us, like, your first responsibility is to not add any injured people. First, do no harm. Yeah. 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 First, first, do not increase the number of hurt people, (laughs) like by refusing to stop. Would you think, especially yourself, like, don't let yourself get injured. We yeah. needed you. <laughs> Honest question, though. If there are frogs falling from the sky, would that training go out the window? Yeah, I mean, you, you <laughs> that actually person can't. might just be in shock. Yeah. I, I do feel like you can't actually reasonably judge anyone for what they do when far- frogs start raining out of the sky. Right. right. Like, unless they just go molest somebody. Like, that's important that's in movies. Choice, I always but... give people not enough credit for not being logic machines. Yeah. We just covered Cabin in the Woods with David, and. That part, there's a part where they press a button. The woman has a knife, which is a very useful weapon in the mm-hmm. situation. And they press a button so that the knife electrocutes her hand and she drops it and they go somewhere else and she doesn't think about it. And I'm like, how do you not go? That's weird that I compulsively <laughs> dropped the weapon. I'm going to re-grab it. But I'm like, she did just find out zombies are real yeah. and almost die. She's probably in such a deep state be. of numb shock yeah. that you can't judge any... Like dumb people in horror movies actually need way more slack. There's, yeah. They're in the midst of shock. Yeah. It's, it's easy to do. I had somebody, uh, probably a couple of guys, try to kill us this year when we were in Mosul. They dropped them two mortars on the other side of a fence. Like mm-hmm. we were like nine or ten feet away from the if there ha- or not a fence, like a wall. If the wall hadn't been there, we would have gotten fucked. And my first thought, everyone else runs back for the Humvee because it's armored, and if like people are dropping mortars on and you, and this has happened to them before, be. smart, yeah. huh? 
And this has happened to them before, so the shock is not as deep. Well, and, ju- and just the, <laughs> the people, like my photographer, who this had not sure. happened to before, oh, okay. she got to she the... To every, and I, my first thought was like, I got to go back and grab my backpack from this building. Like, I'm going to need my backpack for whatever Which it is. is like, no, stupid, you don't. You don't not, fucking need uh, yeah. your backpack. You can buy a new but backpack. You, you, you do really dumb things when something shocking and frightening happens. Like, and it's, it's just it's, whatever your yeah. brain goes to first. Yeah, yeah. yeah you can't, you can't similar... predict unless you've been in that situation. Yeah, yeah. Like, kind of like when you break a bone or you have a trauma traumatic like injury yeah i i remember (laughs) not nearly pale in comparison but recently like within the last year or two i uh there was a a random this kind of magnolia-esque i i got a like a big gash on my forehead which you know and the reason why is because i walked into a tree branch on the sidewalk in la near my house because i was walking and the reason i did is because there was a car wreck right behind me so i decided i heard this like crash and i looked back but i decided to keep walking and i i replay that all the time in my head i was like why did i keep walking like why did I i i knew the branch was there first off second off like if there, if I truly was like all about this, like, oh, there was a crazy sound and what's going on over there? Like you, you should have stopped diverted and your action. Yeah. But I, I like, I, I was so attached to the normalcy of the event. The mm. idea that I wanted to do whatever I was doing, walking, moving forward, I could do that. And also witness this car crash at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It's... And I was totally not even a part of it. I wasn't even in the car. I was just a guy walking on the street. Those like are... David Cronenberg's crash. Did you become sexually aroused? No. Damn. <laughs> Only later. There goes, there goes my reboot screenplay. <laughs> yeah. I also want to shout out just that if there's anyone who's still on the fence, uh, we've been analyzing it from a very top level philosophical point of view. Uh, but Robert, back me up if indeed you agree. It's also super, especially for the first two thirds, viscerally engaging. The camera work, the editing, and the well, you said there were some plots you don't care about, and I can buy that because it's a very rich ensemble thing. Um, but. I just feel like it really fucking moves. I was engaged the whole time. It pulled me in. Like, you want to know what's going to happen next, or what amazing tour de force monologue am I going to see next? It feels like a long movie. It does not feel like a three-hour-plus movie. Agree. It does feel like a longer-than-normal movie. It feels epic. Yeah, we were saying before the recording... I love you, Daddy. Felt shorter than it was, which was two hours because your mouth was agape the whole time, and that tends to make time fly. Uh, that's the Brian Cranston, James Franco. Mm, no, 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 that's the Louis, Louis C.K. movie that never got released. Oh my God, you guys watched it? Yeah. We just covered it on the show. Oh, no. with, yeah, with okay. Maggie and Maggie. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and the time flew because time flies when you're flabbergasted <laughs> by how offensive something is. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> oh, I gotta see that. But Mag- usually when you say in the movie felt just as long as it was, that's bad. But I f- think feel like Magnolia feels long, and I'm glad it feels weighty like a Jonathan Franzen novel. Everything it's yeah. so much happening, and like I'm just constantly riveted. There's a um, so there's a shot uh, that's t- uh, his longest steady cam, I think to date which is two minutes and 15 seconds, which is when the quiz kid arrives at the, uh, like it's raining and he arrives on set and it's like with his dad, his dad gets diverted to the green room. You totally are led to think his dad has a career. And then you realize, no, the kid has a career. The dad's a fucking dick. Yeah. You follow the kid and the studio teacher. You follow, um, like assistants. Every, everything is navigating through these hallways. Uh, and it does not cut for two minutes and 15 seconds. And 
it's got this like drum soundtrack that's like dun, 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 dun. so it's like immediately the the steady cam is moving at a fair click like it's like probably the person's walking at a steady pace like a, a brisk walk because that's everyone's got to and fro going to places it makes it super tense and the scene is really just about a kid arrives a little late at where he's supposed to be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's the scene mm-hmm. but you feel oh god something terrible is gonna happen man it eschews all the normal rules there's the therefore or but rule which is like in your screenplay, you're supposed to be able to like you don't get out of the scene By unless going, changes and, occur. And, and. Right, you're supposed to go. He showed up late, therefore the next scene is the show's fucked up. They don't do any of that. He with abandon will go. Uh, okay, he kind of has to pee. Cut to the other story. Cut back. Now he really has to pee, which isn't technically that doesn't qualify as like no, a change. No, it's not causal. No. Right, and he somehow it just shows that if your craft is good enough, you can break a lot of the rules because you're never bored and you never feel directionless. He just knows when to cut back when to, to the ranch. Back. Yeah. Well, it's a little true to life too. Like how many, I think everyone's in those situations where you're late or something changes about your plan. And you're like this other thing that I'm a part of is going to be all fucked up. And then it, it happens fine anyway. But like you still experience but you're still, the tension. Like your heart's thundering and you're right, like, Oh my right. God, this whole production is fucked. Cause I'm 15 minutes. It's like, Oh no, we actually, we got delayed 20 minutes because of this thing. And yeah. like, it's actually, it's going to be fine. We had contingency. Yeah. I woke minutes. up late this morning. I'm like, what if everything, Fucked, and there's no way I was be 40 fucked. minutes late to this podcast. But also, everyone, <laughs> everyone recording with here me we are. is a dear friend with, and I have no fixed schedule. So like, that was unwarranted nervousness. I was not gonna fuck the production, right? But right. I still woke up. But you like, still felt it. Um, yeah, damn, we're in a tight spot. Yeah, yeah. But oh God, it that's a happened. Great movie. That is. We'll yeah, cover I'll be back it. for that one. Yeah. Well, uh, Abe and I are definitely. Uh, we should because we're gonna do the Coen Brothers brothers where we do Vonnegut's treatment, but with every Coen Brothers movie. In our every head. single one. I think there's like sixteen. Yeah, and this I gotta say, doing this is making me realize I really want to cover a bunch of uh, Whiplash. Fuck. Uh, yeah. Nightcrawler and Enemy. Have you seen Enemy? Yeah, Dylan? of course. Okay, I have. yeah, yeah, yeah. We should cover. Oh wait, Nightcrawler is the one it's where he's Gyllenhaal. taking. Jake yeah, yeah, and he's doing like he, the videos of accents. Yeah, that's who really is. Good. He's the I, avatar of sociopathic media. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just recently, at your suggestion, watched the 2014 Prisoners. Oh, I thought Brawl and Cellblock ninety nine. Well, I also watched yeah. that last night. But um, Jake Gyllenhaal is increasingly becoming my one of my favorite not just wonderful not only is he just like he's a fantastic actor i don't know if i'll call him my favorite but his choice yep in movies is for the last decade and a half have been absolutely it's a gold seal of quality it will be good if he chose to do it he's fucking (laughs) nailing it he knows what scripts are good has been for like 20 movies i believe i can't talk about it without looking it up but i believe he's in some piece of shit right now that he obviously did just for the paycheck but that is very rare in his career i think uh i want to say 2005 or something he did some soldier oh okay uh 2005 i want to say is when he did his last horrible movie which was prince of persia Oh yeah, oh, that's yeah. Uh, that was but a- then after that, that was when that's when he thought I think his career was like I'm gonna, I might be becoming like a peaked. Batman. Yeah. I might be like maybe I'm an A-lister, yeah. and then he realized no, I'm just like an indie darling and a guy who's gonna Very win respected. all the awards. Right. He's kind of the anti Tom Cruise. Nocturnal animals. Yes, Tom. I, that's a good. Tom, yeah. Tom Cruise is so good looking that for the re- like he will never. I, he will never seem creepy, even when like even when he's being creepy in those mm-hmm. Scientology videos. He's engaging, 
Like he's he's a little manic, but he and doesn't what, look as creepy as he is. What he's creeps very you? Handsome. Yeah. What creeps you out is uh, the devil himself can be so charming. Yeah. That he never seems creepy. Yeah. Even when he's the villain and he's despicable, he's charming as well. Exactly. <laughs> and Jake Gyllenhaal is also a very good-looking man who has the ability to portray someone who makes my skin crawl. My yeah. like Nightcrawler. Like I feel. A little ill the entire oh, right. that's movie. That's a poem of yep. a movie. Yeah, it's I a beautiful love. film, and yeah. it, uh, that's a, a testament to his skill. Is that I feel like a little nauseous, like yeah. every time he's on screen. Well, yep. then you should also check out Nocturnal Animals. Oh boy, which he did not too long ago. Fucking great, and I don't think you've seen it either. Right? I don't think I've seen. No, I've definitely not seen. Very it. bold visual choices. Also, like the director, I really am like. That's the one with him and Amy on. Adams. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll watch that. And the yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back to Magnolia. Um, we're, Tom we are way over yeah. time, but I know I don't want to force you off Magnolia. Uh, so you can start the energy ball again if there's more. I just, there's a few like notes that I'm like, anyone who has likes this movie or watches this movie and likes it, uh, there's a um, featurette on the DVD uh, that talks about the production of this movie. And it is my favorite production featurette of all time. Uh, one of which is two little tidbits is that they, he wanted to make a smaller film, which is why he made this movie. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, something can be shot in like 30 days. Uh, and it ended up going over like double that or something. Of course. Look like, at it. It was it's like, insane. it's like, it, it, it's somewhere in between like 60 and 90 days, which is an eternity. So like the fact that this movie happened is like crazy. Like, they sh- studios never let this happen. Like they should have pulled the plug on. They it never did. Yeah. <laughs> they shut down the movie before they let the. Because cost. he wasn't already PTA of right. There Will Be Blood fame. Right. He got so lucky with like, yeah, we just trust you. Uh, and during a time that that just can't happen right now in movies, yeah. that just does not happen anymore. Uh, this is this old movie could only have been made. In like the summer of 1997, or now by someone who is so a list, they can do whatever the fuck. Like there's still a small number of directors who can do whatever they want because of who they are. I mean, Spielberg's having problems. You know, like think well, about his it. Time has passed. Yeah, Wes Anderson seems to be doing whatever the fuck he wants. Sure, and there's Mar- I think it's more about like studios now, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. Burton seems to get to do whatever the fuck he wants, and he sucked for so He's long never now. Been good. Uh, well, uh, sorry, sorry, I that's a longer say that. conversation. He hasn't been good in a while. I'll agree with yeah, that, and yeah. I don't. It doesn't offend me if you never liked them, but yeah. I do like some of his I like early some, stuff. I like some. Big I fish like is Scissor nice. Hands. Yeah. I like Big yeah, Fish. Yeah, Big Fish is nice. I really yeah. like his early shorts, Vincent and Frankenweenie. And yeah, Frankenweenie. And <laughs> uh, it's funny he showed more promise as a film student than I think he the, developed. As, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's another factoid that I thought was interesting, which was uh, in the same documentary, um, how unrelenting. PTA's vision is and how you can see like everyone tells a story about Hitchcock of like how he talks about like actors are cheap and stuff like that and you go like Kubrick you fucking asshole you know like everyone talks about how like I don't understand how these people can be this 
tyrannical about running a set. Right. And I don't think PTA is ty- a tyrant. By I was going to ask, means. do you know, is he a dick? Like no, all those no, people he's, you're referencing? he's far from it. Uh, he's not or at least it's, it appears to be. Yeah. He's uh, <laughs> as opposite as you can get, but they did have an interaction and which is kind of what reveals this, which is just the one time where he was just like so sad and kind of angry that he couldn't get what he wanted, which was that, because he was on like day 62 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, so you just burn through your contingency within like a few days. And we've like foot the bill for a whole nother, like 9 million or whatever the entire movie took to make. But you do not get to practically do the frogs. Like you have to do it with CG. Uh huh. And he was like, no, that's I know. And there's like interviews like there. It's all it's like, you know, fly on the wall, like documentary the sequence stuff, is very where they're effective. like this. Oh it's the God, producer yeah. coming over and going like, you can't get the frogs. They have to be CG. And he's like, no, we're he's like, no the, I, we got to do the, the linchpin of the third. Act. And then, yeah. you know, two days later, he's like, got to I know you have you said no, but this is what's going to happen. He's like, it's not going to happen, man. I'm not going to allow that to happen. I can't do CG. Like, Doesn't look happen. Good. He's like, it's going to it's that's what's going to be because we can't get that many frogs he's like how many frogs can i get like how many can i get prop like, frogs this right? number of frogs. frogs and he's like okay and then a few days later it's another you know fly on the wall interview where he's like so here's the deal you're gonna get this number of frogs which is more than i told you so you get a little more frogs but you have to use visual effects for most of the crazy shots like the shot of the pool and right. like the ones that have like hundreds of frogs and And he's and you just see him sit there and he's quiet and it's the end of the day and they're all very clearly tired and he just goes okay and it's just one of the go you go like oh he cares so hard yeah yeah he's so hard does he uh did he use cg yeah Okay, it it totally works. He shouldn't have been worried. Like the frog hits are great and chunky and visceral. Right, they're beautiful. Yeah, I think the they just had to cut around it, which yeah. means that there might be a different cut of Magnolia that has even better sequence. Sure, maybe. Frog. Yeah, but who's to say? Or maybe it we'll worked. get a recut version of Magnolia where he's finally, where he finally gets yeah, his frog. Just cut. Lucas, this motherfucker. Well, it turns out he wanted frogs falling through frame throughout the whole movie, <laughs> like Dubak style with with ATSTs yeah. in the background. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. John C. Riley gets his gun back and just starts shooting all the frogs. <laughs> I did think it was weird when John C. Riley's searching for his gun and he just li- he touches the ground and he licks his finger and he goes salt. That's <laughs> odd. Uh, uh, good callback to our first. Yeah, was that our first podcast? On this? No, not very first. Uh, it's, yeah, Lester, oh, I and keep your salt. eyes peeled for Alfred Molina in Magnolia, oh, yeah. who's tough to spot God. as Solomon and Solomon. And his uh, his sidekick has the best line ever. You look very good, Donnie. No need for braces, Donnie. No need for braces, Donnie. No need Donnie. for braces. <laughs> it's like it's like almost a Big Lebowski moment. You know? It is. It I know it's is. Donnie, so it makes me think of yeah. Buscemi, but yeah. Ultimately, it's just one of those lines that are repeated (laughs) way too many times, like a Marx Brothers thing uh, that just totally works for me. But that's that's all for me from a production standpoint. Me too. Yeah, I got nothing else. You got nothing else. It's really, thank you for doing this with us. I thought there was some cool little tidbits of not information, but just like waxing poetic on the meaning of life and stuff oh yeah we're fun. we're great that. yeah we're so we're great awesome. we're killing it today man so robert mm. our listeners would love to know where they can find you what you got what you're working on what's in the hopper uh, how yeah. your life's going you can you can find me right now on uh on twitter uh at 
Drug War Correspondent, mm-hmm. which is which is my my Twitter name uh, at the moment. And I have uh, I got nothing else going on. I'm just a, well, you just, just a you're almost done man. with the first draft of your sci-fi book. Can I yeah, say that? Yeah, I, I got a I got a novel that'll be out they can't on buy the it, internet. But it's cool news. No, no, <laughs> that'll be happening at some point later this year. Are no, you uh, ever going to get around to that Mosul doc? Uh, I mean, we didn't wind up getting enough money to finish it for the I'm, Kickstarter. I'm still hoping we've got the footage. I'm still trying to. I put together a VR documentary based on some of the 360 wow, footage right we got on. there, and we put together a podcast based on a lot of the interview stuff. So there's stuff that was put together. How do people find those, or are they not out yet? Uh, the podcast is one of the episodes of Cracked Gets Personal, yep. where we talk to uh, Warzone fixers to and impel uh, you to name it. <laughs> yeah, and if you go to, uh, let me find the name of that. VR documentary. If and of course, if you follow him at Drug War Correspondent, I'm yeah. sure, as we all do, he, he will keep you in the loop with what he's doing. And I mean, like our audience, who m- many of them are, uh, you should maybe consider doing a Patreon to get that doc made because I've seen footage. I've made a good handful of docs in my life, and the, the footage is great. Yeah. You got something great on your hands, and it's just about you. Just walking around with those fixers, you know, in Mosul, and it's, it's a story that I think needs to be told. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I mean, I haven't seen the footage, but I think you're one of the bravest, most insightful journalists working today, and you're yeah. sitting across from two very good editors who like you very much. So I'll just say I'm down to, ed- right. to sort sort so through footage if you need that. We can we can for talk free, about baby. I'm I'm I'm. Let's talk about this. He's camera, like, I have way better a, editors than you already. No, no, up. that is, that is not at all. The thing. <laughs> but if they want to see the the VR thing, you, it, on it's on Omnivert. Uh, live through two days of the Battle of Mosul with this 360 experience. I recommend getting a headset. You know, even if you're just so doing Google the Google hardboard, cardboard or whatever. Yeah. But uh, that's a thing that we did. Yeah, and then great. watch Magnolia mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point. All right, life. thanks. Yeah. This has been a 150 percent length extra special episode of frame rate and we'll see you next time this has been a small beans endeavor we're a bunch of pals who make podcasts sketches music web series and movies the beans always have new ideas percolating so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash small beans where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!